He is Lord of all. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Um, one other thing that I did forget to mention is that um, all of our motorcycle riders, I've, Mitch was inviting everybody to next Saturday there is going to be a ride, so get your motorcycles out and head on out to see the fall colors. Check out the website, the app, the information will be on there this week. Amen? Amen. Jesus is Lord of all. And I want you to keep that in mind as we continue through this sermon series, Behind the Curtain. Because sometimes we're going to look at things and see things and things may seem hopeless and things may seem overwhelming and like, what can we do? And we're overwhelmed with all of this. We have to remember that in everything, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That he is the God who created all of creation. And everything that we will talk about is a part of that creation. And therefore, he is Lord of all. Amen? So we're going to take a look and continue to take a look behind the curtain. What's happening here in the world in which we live? And some of it's going to confront us and it's going to convict us and compel us to change. Some of it may, you know... Tempt you to want to leave? But I pray that you'll hear what the word of God has to say. That you'll hear what God is saying to the church for this day and age. Because God is calling his church to something very special. We are not without hope. None of us. None of us. So... If you have your Bible, you can open up to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, you can go to the notes in the sermon notes there and uh, come along with me. We talked last week, I read the, or I had read the entire chapter 1 of Daniel, and we took a look at and talked a lot about, and will again today, talk about Babylon. Talking about Babylon, it's important that we understand some of the things that the enemy is doing, that the enemy has done. Remember this, that what the Bible tells us is not just what happened, it's what always happens. Amen. And so in, this, in Daniel, please understand this, that Daniel, there's a twofold, you know, even through the entirety of the word of God, there's a twofold purpose that God will share with us. One, he will share this historical truth. This Daniel was a real man in a real ancient world in the city called Babylon. And two, that behind the city of Babylon was a spirit. Behind the curtain was a spirit at work, a counterfeit, demonic a counterfeit to the word of God, to the kingdom of God, to the king of kings. And so behind that world, there's something that's going on. And whatever God creates in this world, the enemy will try to counterfeit everything. It doesn't matter. God will create something in your life and the enemy will come along and he will absolutely try to counterfeit it. God has a real true love for us. The enemy has a lust for us. And so we have to understand that. And we see that the spirit of Babylon was at work. The spirit of Babylon has always been at work. Since the enemy was cast out of heaven, the spirit of Babylon was at work way back into the book of Genesis and even before. And we see Babylon at work all the way through the word of God into the New Testament and right to the very end of Revelation where Jesus finally comes and absolutely and completely destroys Babylon and its king. But all the way in between... Babylon's at work. And so what's happened is there's always this counterfeit, this counterfeit to the kingdom of God, counterfeit to the culture of God, counterfeit that comes and brings opposition to God's kingdom, opposition to God's biblical culture. And we see that today in our world in which we live. There's opposition everywhere. It's amazing how other religions are accepted and embraced, but only Jesus Christ is come against with a hatred, a vile, and a, 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 an opposition like no other. Because Jesus is the only true authority that can come against those spirits. He is Lord of all. And so we're, we've been talking about, and we'll talk about the three things that the spirit of Babylon wants to do. Three things the spirit of Babylon is seeking to do in your life. And then, to, again, I want to make sure we have hope in all of this. So we're going to look at then three things that the spirit of God will do in you. That he's seeking to do through you. That he wants to do for you. Because we are, again, not a people without hope. 
So remember that as we go through all of this. Last week we introduced the first thing that the spirit of Babylon wants to do, and that is the spirit of Babylon wants to own you. The spirit of Babylon wants to make you a slave. It wants to control you. It wants to dominate you. It wants to destroy you. It wants to own you. Look at the verse, uh, verse 1 and 2 of Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and again, I understand that's God, he's the king of God's people, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive, that your word is active. That, Lord, today, even through Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4, you, Lord God, can use your word to bring salvation to the unsaved. That you can bring deliverance to the oppressed. That you can heal the sick. That you can bring recovery, Lord, to the blind. That you can open the ears of the deaf. That you are God and there is nothing that's impossible for you. So today, Lord God, let your word bring possibilities to the impossibilities in our life, in our world. God, I thank you for that. For open ears to hear what you are saying to your church today. Help us to receive with joy what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I want to take a look at some of the people that are in this story because I think it's very relevant that we understand who's in this story and why they're in here. And the first one that we'll look at, obviously, is Daniel. Daniel is in all of this, and it's important for us that we understand this, that at this time that we read this, in, in Daniel chapter 1, in these first couple of verses, Daniel is just a teenager. He's just a, like, junior high, high school-aged kid, or so we would call him, we would call him. Daniel was just a young man, a high school kid, and when you see his faithfulness and you see the loyalty, you see the courage, you see the, the, just the stand-upness of David, you, or Daniel, you'll see, realize he's just a high school kid. Come on, and all the high school people said, amen. I know that they finally looked up. But the story in Daniel, it starts in chapter one, obviously, and goes all the way through to the end, and it's the story of his life. It's the story of everything that happens to Daniel in this place, the entirety. And again, I want you to see this. It is important that we understand that it's not just about how you begin, but about how you finish. God, yes, calls us to begin the race, but ultimately, his longing for us is that we would finish the race that we would finish the race that he's called us to, finish the job, finish what it is that God has called us to. It's not just about beginnings, but it's about how we finish. And Daniel, he was faithful to God, and he was faithful in the beginning, he was faithful in the middle, and he was faithful all the way through to the end of his life. And he lived, Daniel lived in exile, he lived in Babylon for 69, 70 years. He was caught up in that. And at the end of Daniel, he's, you know, again, a lot of our little videos show Daniel kind of, you know, a young man throughout the entirety of At this time, he's 80 years, 80 something years old. He's not a young man at this point. He's lived the entirety of his life in this place of captivity. And again, my point is this, for all of you that are young, that are here today, and all of you that are older that are here today and all of you that are in between here today you have to know it is absolutely possible to live the entirety of your whole life faithfully devoted to God Amen. we'll talk about that more and more as we go through this you know what in this what we would call in this time think about just what happened we would call Daniel in this time a, a prisoner of war and again, getting all the promotion, it should, and, um, and we should all be keeping this in prayer. But one of the things that we would call Daniel in that time today is, is we would call him a victim of sex trafficking. He was, he was a human trafficked young man. In church, he was forced to walk some 700 miles in captivity. 700 miles, man, how many of you have tried to get your teenager just to walk from the car to Walmart? 
He was forced to walk 700 miles. This teenage kid. Can you just imagine if our nation was invaded by an enemy and our nation was invaded and they came in and they burned down the White House, they destroyed everything, they took you captive, they locked you up and made you march with them 700 miles to be taken into a place of captivity where they worship a a whole other God where they came and they spoke a different language, where they tried to give you a completely different identity. As a teen. And they did not have prisoner rights. They didn't have all of that. So you have to know, he was abused. He was exhausted. He was probably dehydrated. He was probably tired. He was probably hungry. And I'm sure, as a teenager, I'm sure he was scared. He was scared. And sometimes, you know, church, we have to just learn to do the right thing, even though we're scared. I'll never forget when we took Luke and Sam to Lagoon. And Luke and I, Luke wanted to ride this ride, his first really big roller coaster. And he wanted to ride it really bad. And so we stood in line and we stood in line and, and, and we came around the corner to where we were in line. You could finally see the roller coaster. And Luke's like, and he, and he keeps looking up at me like, Papa, are you going to back out? <laughs> it's okay if you want to back out, Papa. And he keeps looking at me and looking at that. And I say, Luke, man, are you okay? And he looks at me and he looks at the roller coaster. And, and all he says is, Papa, I'm just going to do it afraid. <laughs> Church, sometimes you just got to do it afraid. Just do it afraid. You know, another thing in this whole story that you see is that sometimes Daniel shows us that sometimes innocent people suffer things. Innocent people go through hard times. You know, the land, I told you last week, the land had been neglected by, from God's word, it had been neglected for 490 years. And Daniel, he's just a teenager. Daniel didn't own land at this time. He wasn't probably anybody that was doing the things that the people of Israel had done for 490 years, neglecting the land. Yet he was a part of that. And because he was a part of the people, he was a part of what happened. Even though he was innocent to what others had chose to do as a part of the people, he experienced the suffering that went on. And church, sometimes in your life, you're going to find that there's going to be those times of cause and effect where you're going to do something and there will be an effect. Those times where you're going to reap what you sow. There's times you're going to make choices in your life. And because of those choices, you're going to experience consequences that you don't like. Bad things can happen because of the consequences of the choices that we make in our life. But other times in our life, there's going to be things that because of nothing that we did, nothing that we were a part of, sometimes bad things are just going to happen because in this world, you will have trouble. You're not immune just because you're a Christian. So Daniel, he suffers through this. And we learn from Jesus Christ as he went to the cross that sometimes... You know what? Terrible things happen to good people, to innocent people. And this is the story of Daniel. Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel was a man of obedience. Daniel was a man of worship. Yet still here he suffers. And church, sometimes it'll be true for you. It doesn't always mean that you have lack of faith or if you'd just been better or if you'd just tried harder. If I just would have prayed more. Please, sometimes things just happen. And this is, you know, Daniel's here. We also, in this story, we meet the king, the king Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim was the guy who ruled over the people of God. He was ruling over Jerusalem. He was really was the 17th king, and he was a horrible guy. He was evil. The Bible says he was evil in the sight of the Lord. And listen, this is what sometimes, and please, even people in church will do this. Doesn't matter whether you're a church person or not a church person. Disobedient people will always want to find a false prophet to tell them what they want to hear. 
We'll want to find somebody that's going to tell us what feels good, what we want to hear, what sounds good to me, rather than the word of God, rather than what is absolutely the truth. And some of you may be tempted with some of these messages, what I share with love you. So please, take it that way. We have to realize that disobedient people, when we want to be in disobedience because we don't like what God says or we don't like what God is doing or what God's calling us to do, we will find somebody, a false prophet, that will tell us what we want to hear. And that's Jehoiakim. In fact, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah, I think Jeremiah 36, that Jehoiakim actually burned the word of God. He burned the scrolls. This nation belonged to God. This was God's people. And God created these people. He was sustaining these people. And here they have this ruler that disregards and dishonors and disobeys God. And ultimately, he sets the word of God on fire. Church, there will always be the attempt to remove the word of God. There will always be the attempt to remove the word of God. And the reason that there will always be an attempt to remove the word of God is because in this world, when the word of God is absent, it opens the door for the spirit of Babylon to move in and fill the void. Uh, that is what we see in all of the institutions. We see that in our school systems where we've removed the word of God. And when we remove the word of God, the spirit of Babylon has moved in and taken charge in many and, and multiple institutions of learning. Jehoiakim, the people loved him, but God despised him. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he comes into and takes over the temple and, and everything around, and, and he, they take things from the temple. They take things, articles from the temple. They take, you know, precious things, parts, places of worship, things that were holy and consecrated to God. And they take these vessels from the very, from the temple, the temple that was the place that housed the very presence of God. And so they besiege the nation, they overtake Jerusalem, and they come and they capture the temple, and they take the articles out of the temple that were designed as, as, as objects of worship. They had meaning and purpose, and they were set apart and holy unto the Lord. And so they took these things that were devoted to the worship of the one true God, and they were captured by this demonic, satanic, political leader, this guy... And they take these articles and they take them back to Babylonian temple. They take them back and they rededicate them and they recommit these items to the worship of a false god. Look, the spirit of Babylon is always trying to mix the true things of God, the real things of God, the truth of God with something that is false. The enemy doesn't want to, I mean, look, he doesn't need to get you off into satanic worship. If he can just get you off base a little bit, then he's going to win the fight. And so there's this mixing where the things of God are being mixed with false worship of a false God. The enemy will always continue. But why would God do that? Why would God allow that? Don't you think, I was thinking about that, thinking about how the enemy must have thought, the Babylonians must have thought, well, look, our God is bigger than their God. Our God's more powerful than their God. Look, our God has the things of their God in our God's temple. Why would God allow that? And, and I, again, praying through this and, and reading, and, and I, I believe this. I believe it's because God could care less about your superstitions. He'd care less about their superstitious thoughts and ideas. These people, they have this superstitious thought. Look, God could care less what your horoscope says. And these people, they thought, they thought that if they were just religious enough, if they were just spiritual enough, you know, church, there are many of you, many of us, many people today that are religious Spiritual, you know, you can be spiritual and very ungodly. There's a lot of people today that are religious and spiritual that actually do not love, do not honor, do not obey, do not want Jesus to be their king. 
They have not made Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords in their life. They want Jesus to be their Savior because they want the get out of hell free card. But they don't want Jesus to be the Lord because they want to do what they want to do rather than what God wants them to do. And the truth is, is that these people here, they wanted that. And those people that are like that, even in the church today, they're superstitious. They think that being in church is going to protect them from hell. They think there's this superstition that says, if, I'm just, if I just do this and I just do that and I just do that. Look, you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace alone so that no man can boast. The grace of God comes in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, not with the things of Jesus Christ. Look, you can have a cross and that's fine. You wear a cross and that's wonderful and it looks really cool. But listen, if you're not worshiping the one who hung on that cross, if you're not worshiping the one who died on that cross, if you're not worshiping the one who came off that cross and into the grave and rose to the right hand of the Father, if you're not worshiping the one who the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus the Christ, who's at the right hand of the Father now, then it doesn't matter that you're wearing that cross because that cross has no ability to protect you. That cross has no ability to do anything for you. That cross has nothing that it can be of value to you other than just being an ornament. Look, church, the church, Jesus Christ, God's kingdom, the people of God, he didn't save us so that we could be superstitious. He saved us so that we could be spirit-filled. That's what he has for us. That's what he wants for us. So God didn't protect them because they were superstitious and not spirit-filled. Amen, Pastor Mark. And then there's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, is, uh, he is ruling over the strongest empire in the world. This was a superpower. This was the strongest in that day. This was the strongest power there was. They, were, they had the best military there was. They had the greatest economy that there was. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. The spirit of Babylon can work in and through any and every nation. And he can cause people to prosper. He can cause people to come to power under the hand of God as he allows things to go on. The, 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 the spirit of Babylon, it is ultimately at work empowering this leader, empowering Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because he wanted to be worshiped as God. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be God. That's what the devil wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. He was thrown down to the earth and has continually wanted to be worshipped as God. And here we see Nebuchadnezzar. He wants to be worshipped as God. My goodness, the guy took and built a 90-foot high statue of himself. Talk about some arrogance. I mean, he had, he had some pretty strong self-esteem. He wanted... To be worshipped. Church, Nebuchadnezzar was a representative of the counterfeit Jesus. The counterfeit Jesus. Jesus rules and reigns in the kingdom of God. Nebuchadnezzar, this demonic counterfeit, rules and reigns in the kingdom of man. The kingdom of Babylon. The nation of Babylon. And then it, it talks about this place called in the plains of Shinar. The plains of Shinar may not mean a lot to you, but it would have meant a lot to those people there. The plains of Shinar is something that was talked about 1,500 years earlier in Genesis chapter 11. And then the plains of Shinar, what happened there was in the plains of Shinar, a bunch of people came together. A bunch of people were rallying. A bunch of people were coming together, and they built this city. And in the middle of that city, they said, you know what? Let's build something really awesome. Let's build a tower, a tower that would reach all the way up to the heavens. It's called Babel. Babel is a demonically empowered attempt to counterfeit the kingdom of God. It was the spirit of Babylon that was at work even 1,500 years earlier in this town of Babel, this place where the people would come. And again, it's a fascinating story. Read that in Genesis chapter 11. Read it later on. Go through it in your life groups and talk about that. It's amazing to look at that. But the people, look, you know, 
God looks down. God's looking, you know, so they thought God was looking down on the people and he sees these people and he sees them building this tower. He sees them building this tower because they wanted to build a tower that reached up to heaven. And they wanted to go to be able to reach up to heaven so that they could take God's place. And they wanted to make their name great. And their idea at Babel was to make their name great, not God's name great. Jerusalem is where God's name was made great. Babel is where men's name was made great. And they tried to build this great city. And they built this city and they had this place where they wanted to make their name great. And they built this high tower, a place where they thought they could get up and look down on all the other people. And they could rule and reign over everything everyone else as they look down on them where they could actually be the replacement for God and God looks down at these people and he says these people if they work in unity together there's nothing they can't do church listen unified unbelievers are more powerful than divided believers that's why Satan is always trying to divide the church and let me say this when one Christian gossips about another, come on. When one Christian gossips about another, I can say that a whole bunch of times till I get an amen. When one person, when one Christian gossips about another Christian, when one Christian lies about another Christian, when one Christian attacks another Christian, especially in front of non-Christians, Anytime, every time, it is the spirit of Babylon at work. Because the spirit of Babylon is always trying to divide the believers and unite the unbelievers. Unite those of his kingdom. And so what does God do? God says, you know what? I better scatter these people. I better scatter their language and I better scatter the people and make them into other nations. And so he scatters them and with an attempt to end at that moment the spirit of Babylon that was at work creating the city and tower of Babel. And all of that's happening in Shinar. All of that happened 1,500 years before what we read in Daniel. And now, where is Daniel being taken? He's taken back to Babylon, which is where? Right there in this place where the Tower of Babel was originally attempted to be built. Look, I'm telling you what. The Bible does not just tell us about what happened. The Bible tells us about what always happens. And the same thing has happened historically throughout history, and it's still happening today. And so that's what the, the spirit of Babylon, it's trying to do to you. It's trying to own you. It's trying to enslave you. It's trying to possess you. It's trying to destroy you. It wants to take hold of you, and it wants all of you. It wants your mind. It wants your heart. It wants your wallet. It wants your marriage. It wants your business. It wants your family. It wants your children. It wants your children's children and your children's children's children. The spirit of Babylon is always setting up counterfeit kingdoms and counterfeit cultures to dominate, to rule, to topple, to take advantage, to conquer the people of God. That is why, church, we cannot, as Christians, we cannot live culturally relevant lives. We must stand up. We must begin to be the light. We must live countercultural lives. Because our culture has been overwhelmed by the spirit of Babylon. So what happened here? Did God abandon the people, his people? No, God was at work in and through this whole thing. I mean, you, you read through Daniel. You, you can absolutely see the hand of God at work through everything that was going on. But it does say in verse 2, it says, it was the Lord who gave them over. The Lord gave them. Look, church, in addition to the physical realm that we sit in, in the realm in which we are, just as real as the people are around you and the meeting that we're having right now, there is a meeting in the presence of God with angelic beings that is just as real as the meeting that we're having here today. Behind the curtain, there are things that are going on. There are things that are happening. There are battles that are going on. Places that are being overtaken because we, God's called us to be the people of prayer. God's called us to be the people who would stand in the gap. And the point is this, though. We have got a God who is in control. That whoever's in control, God is in control of. Our God is able. Our God is willing. Everyone thinks Nebuchadnezzar is the boss. There's a boss above the boss. There is a ruler above the ruler. There is a king above the king. There is one who rules and reigns in all things. And he is the creator of everything that is. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's why we declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. 
Amen? God's kingdom rules over every other nation. There is no nation that's greater than that. God rules over every nation that always has and ever will be. The spirit of Babylon wants to own us. The second thing, and, and again, this, well, the spirit of Babylon wants to train you. And this can get kind of controversial. Let me say this right up front. As I talk about things and talk about places and talk about occupation, I am not calling for anybody to withdraw from anything. Nor am I calling anybody to come into a condemnation over anything. I do not think that the people of God should put their head in a hole and just hide. I think the people of God should be stepping up, rising up, and taking their place where God has called them. And some of you need to get off of your pew and get into the place where God's called you to run for school board. Some of you need to be on city council. Some of you need to be part of the, the, the county commission. Some of you need to be part of the becoming teachers. Some of you need to rise up and take the light into the darkness because what happens when the light starts to pull back from the darkness? The dark just gets darker. And God is looking for a people that will rise up as warriors and take the light into the darkness. People who won't give in to fear and stand up and do what God's called you to do. So realize that as we talk about some of these other things because the spirit of Babylon absolutely wants to train you and the spirit of Babylon wants to train your children and wants to train your children's children. That's why the Bible says that we are at war, but we are not at war with flesh and blood. We're not at war with institutions and organizations. We're not at war with principals and, and deans and professors. We're not at war with candidates and, and, and campaigns and, and curriculums. Look, we are at battle, at war against powers and principalities. We need to stand and fight behind the curtain and stand for the things that are affecting behind the curtain what are affecting on this side of the curtain. We need to stand and fight to do what God's calling us to do against the spirits that are at work in the, in the culture in which we live today. So verse 3 says this. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. Verse 4 says, Youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So Daniel and some of his buddies, they're chosen to go and to be taken into Babylonian custody. Why did he choose them? We chose them because they were of royalty. They were of royal family. They were of nobility. They had an understanding of leadership, an understanding of structure. They had an understanding of submission. They had an understanding of functioning in the king's palace. They knew what it was to be nobility. They were men of intellect, men of high IQ, men that were social, men that were relational, men that were, were relevant in the culture that they lived. These were men who were handsome. These were men that were good looking. These were men that were built well. Men that look good so that they could make King Nebuchadnezzar look good. And then there's this little word that oftentimes we overlook. Some may not even know what it really means. But in verse 3, there's this little word, eunuch. Eunuch? What does that mean? It means exactly what you fear it means. Yeah. It means exactly what you don't want it to mean. And this guy, Aspenaz, he's the chief eunuch. Do you know what the chief eunuch does? The chief eunuch, again, this is a deep one. The chief eunuch oversees all the other eunuchs. The chief eunuch oversees Daniel, who was a eunuch. Church, the spirit of Babylon is always trying to emasculate the men. Still at work today, trying to emasculate the men, trying to emasculate the gender roles, trying to emasculate what God created a man to be. And at that day and that time, man, that was a surgical procedure. Can you imagine a surgical procedure 2,600 years ago? 
You know what the purpose was? It was done to undo God made them male and female. And there is still an attempt today in everywhere around us to undo what God said that he made them male and female. There's an attempt today to undo all of that. You know, I think about that. Listen, you know, we think that we might have it bad. Well, no matter what you think about your life or how your life's going, you don't have it as bad as Daniel did. You don't have it as bad as what he went through. You know, Daniel had it worse. Sometimes we think that just doing the right thing will cause us not to ever suffer or go through some difficulties. Or, and if we do, God will deliver us right out of it all. Well, Daniel did the right thing in Israel. Daniel, he was still taken into exile. He was still a slave in Babylon. And some of you think, well, and I have thought this before. Well, Daniel, though, Daniel was powerful and mighty. You know, Daniel, Daniel was saved from the fiery furnace. Daniel was saved from the the blaze. Daniel was saved from the lion's den. When you put all this together, you realize that, yeah, all of that was done after he was castrated. Look, if we're ever taken captive and I'm castrated, throw me in the fire. Feed me to the lions. Daniel, he was castrated and then forced to live in Babylon for 69 years. He died there. How many of you, especially you men, would agree with me? That doesn't sound like winning. Sometimes it doesn't feel like winning when we're winning. Come on, that's the goodness and the glory and the grace of God. That God is a God who can bring victory even out of what we think is sure defeat. Come on, God has got victory for some of you. And you thinking that God has been, that you've been defeated. You think that your family has fallen apart. You think that this loved one is lost. You think that they're completely gone into Babylon. And that there's no hope for them. Ask God to send a Daniel. Ask God to send a man into their life that would begin to encourage them. Ask God to redeem them out of those places. Ask God to go do what only God can do. Because God is a God who brings victory out of places where we see defeat. That's what he did in Daniel's life. So we learn so much. We can learn so much from the spirit of Babylon. The first thing that we learn is this, church, and it's happening today, that the spirit of Babylon always tries to undo God-given gender roles. It's the spirit of Babylon. You know, we, we live in this world that is seen, and, and in the unseen, there's the spirit, the spirit of Babylon that's at work and always trying to counterfeit God's creation, always trying to create something that would come against the God-given gender rules. And we see that over and over and over again. There is so much confusion going on about gender rules. I find it, you know what, it's even funny that I feel even the slightest bit apprehensive or weird about saying male and female or he and she, man, woman. There's so much that's come against that that we have created for ourselves. The spirit of Babylon has created this fear. And the spirit of Babylon, working with the spirit of fear, has made it so that we're afraid to stand up and to say, no, God made them male and female because we're afraid that they're going to call us homophobic. They're afraid that we're going to call us some, some pronoun or some, uh, something that is going to describe something negative. And I can't have that happen because I might lose my job. I might lose my position. I might lose this. I might lose... Listen, that's the spirit of fear. And the church needs to stand up in this day and age and begin to rebuke the spirit of fear. Begin to rebuke the lie of Babylon. Begin to stand up for what God says and declare, thus saith the Lord over the lost generation. Church, we need to stand up and we need to answer the call of God. Two, the spirit of Babylon is seeking to alter healthy sexuality, especially within the covenant of marriage. Isn't it funny that today sexuality has become acceptable in every venue, in every avenue? In fact, the only place that sexuality is questioned is now within the marriage. These guys, they never got to be married. They never got to consummate a marriage. 
They never got to marry someone. They never got to enjoy marital relations the way God intended. God has an intention, a way in which he intended. He gave us the pleasure of sexuality and sex. That is a gift from God. And he intended then how for it to be used inside of the confines, inside of marriage. That's how God called it to be used. He said it. And, and, and then today, the spirit of Babylon has tried to take that sexuality outside of those bonds and make it perverted. Third thing that we see from Babylon, that Babylon is always also attacking marriage. Marriage is under attack. These young men, they, never, they were eunuchs. They never got to be married. They, they were neglected or negated from marriage. So they had no legacy, no lineage. Why? Because the spirit of Babylon is after the children. The spirit of Babylon wants to see children brought up in a world where they're only raised by unbelievers. Church, the culture that is cultivated by the spirit of Babylon is a culture of death. It is. Look around. Now, you can do what you desire with this, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. And all of this happens, all of these things happen when the spirit of Babylon overtakes an education system. What was the first thing, after they castrated him, what was the first thing they did to Daniel? They sent him to the University of Babylon. They sent him off to college where he would go so that they could reverse evangelize him. So that he could be disconnected, so that he could be decommitted to Yahweh, to the Lord God, to Jesus Christ, to the God of the Bible. They sent him to the University of Babylon so that he could turn from God and begin to serve the spirit of Babylon. Church, does it sound familiar? Look, the spirit of Babylon is still at work. And the spirit of Babylon is still attacking gender, attacking gender roles, attacking what, the, what God has ordained and how God ordained gender roles to be, how God ordained men and women, how God ordained things, how he called things, and how he called those things to work. Gender is still under attack. Marriage is under attack. Marriage is being decreased. In fact, marriage is now being overlooked in many places. Marriage is just something that we do and we can do over and over again. It's, being, it's under attack. Sexuality is under attack. Sexuality, by God, was intended to be used inside the confines of marriage. And now it's being used in every venue, in every area, in every part of this world, in everything. It is affecting everything. It affects politics. It affects, it affects education. It, it affects everything. And the family is under attack. The family is being torn apart. Look, we are emasculating families by just taking fathers out of the family unit. And the spirit of Babylon has overtaken the education systems, our schools, our curriculums, universities. And again, I am not calling for you to back away from those places. I think often much of what's happened is because the church has backed away. If you're a Christian, stand up in your school. Stand up and be the light. Stand up and be a voice for the Spirit of God. Do what God's called you to do. And for many of you, man, go back to school. Get a degree. Get into the school system. We need more Christian teachers, not less. But church, we are seeing the Spirit of Babylon writing curriculum, writing curriculum for grade schoolers, and they're being, this is, I'm just going to say it, and that curriculum is often, and I thank God it's not happening here, but all around our nation, that curriculum is being presented in public schools through queer, cross-dressing, gender-confused eunuchs that are citizens of Babylon. And again, I'm not trying to be provocative. But just look at that, what's going on. 
His children are growing up in Babylon, growing up learning the ways of Babylon, growing up being brainwashed by Babylon and thinking that Babylon is the right way, thinking that it's the correct way. And the reason is because they don't know anything else. God is calling, look, they don't know anything else until somebody stands up, somebody rises up, somebody shows up against Babylon and begins to say, thus saith the Lord over these situations and circumstances. Let me introduce you to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about the word of God. Let me tell you about the promises of God. Let me tell you about the things that God has given. Let me tell you about the name of Jesus, the name above every other name. Let me tell you how God created men and women. Let me tell you what God has done. Let me share with you the kingdom of God because it's time for people to stand up and to stand against the spirit of Babylon that has overtaken our education system. We need to stand up and declare there is a king above every other king. There is a kingdom that's above every other kingdom. There is a way that's above every other way and the God who made it all gave us instructions in his word as to how those things are intended to be used and we need to stand up and we need to follow his instructions. Because church, look, you're you're fighting, but listen, what are we fighting here? Oftentimes we find ourselves fighting against the school system. We find ourselves fighting against the curriculum. We find ourselves fighting against the entertainment system. We find ourselves trying to fight against the internet. Why? Because we're fighting for the lives of our children. We're fighting for the lives of our children's children. But man, we have come head on straight into this gravitational force called the spirit of Babylon. Is there any hope? Yes. Yes. Yes, I told you at the beginning. Yes, Jesus is his name. He is the hope. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. You know what the people around you need? They need Jesus. And God say, look, the reason he didn't take you out the moment you got saved is because he left you here to tell others about how he saved you. It's what he's called you to do. And Daniel, look at the hope that we have in him. Daniel started off as a teenager, and through the entirety of his life, Daniel lived to over 80 years old. He was faithful to God from the very beginning to the very end. He was faithful for the whole of his life. Church, that's the hope. You know, the Bible has nothing negative to say about Daniel. Nothing negative. Now, again, he's not perfect, but there's a perfect God who is perfectly faithful to him. In every situation, in every circumstance, even though he did not understand, our perfect God was perfectly faithful to him. And I want you to know that no matter what your circumstance or what you might feel or what you might go through, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, if he is the King of kings in your life, then you have a perfect God that will always and only be perfectly faithful to you. Whatever you're going through, Your God is faithful. But church, today, think about this. Now, just think about it. You may not agree. But universities today have in many cases become liberal indoctrination stations. Many of our universities, I don't want to say all, but I will say many, have become the University of Babylon. And what are we as a nation, what are we telling all of our young kids? You have to go to college. You have to go to school. As parents, we feel the guilt. We feel this place where I gotta send my kids to college. I gotta send my kids to school. I gotta send them off. Church, universities today, many are teaching your children the Babylonian way. And therefore, and I'm not saying that you put your head in the sand, and I'm not saying you don't send your kids to school. What I'm saying is that we must, church, we must, you must, you must teach your children about the ways of God. You must open up the Bible with your children. You must tell them about Jesus. You must share with them what the Bible says. You must tell them about the promises of God, the hope of God, the glory of God, the mercy of God, the testimony of God. You need to tell your children who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he wants to do for them. And you need to share with them the truth, the real truth. And church, not just that. 
that. But you also, you need to teach your children about Babylon. You need to tell them about what the enemy will try to do and how he will try to sideswipe you. You need to share with them what the enemy is saying about genders and sex and all those things. You need to share with them because church, we have raised up a young generation of young people that they're not just naive, not just innocent, but they're naive. You need to teach your kids what the enemy is doing so that your kids are not naive. Oh, they can still be innocent and know about that. But if they don't know about it, they'll be naive and just easily sucked in. And we see that happening over and over and over again. So the church is being called to step up. The people of God are being called to step up. Moms and dads, you're being called to step up. And you need to begin, we need to begin to teach our young people about the ways of God. Otherwise, they're going to be swayed into Babylon. Amen? Amen? Come on. Look, we have this example in Daniel. And one thing that we see in Daniel, and I want you to hear me here, because some of you have, have young kids, some of you have teenagers, some of you have older kids, and I've got a word for you right now. One of the things that Daniel did not do, Daniel never practiced generational rebellion. But we... Because of the spirit of Babylon, what we have done in our culture, we have this tradition in our culture, and we call it the teening years. Well, they're just teens. We've created this whole genre that the Bible talks nothing about. And what that means is, well, in the teen years, well, you know what, they're going to, teens will do what teens will do. You know what it means when we start talking about the teen years? It means, well, they're just going to act like Babylonians for a while. It's normal. Oh, they're drunk. Yeah, but it's their senior year. Come on. Then they go off to college and they're still drunk. Well, it's the college years, you know, come on. And then they, they graduate and they go into their 20s. And they're still drunk. Living in their mom's basement. Playing video games. Taking no responsibility. Spending their time on porn. Perverted relationship after perverted relationship. And we say, well, it's just a stage of life. Well, that's gonna happen. You know what, they're single. I think about that. We say, well, they just got to take time to sow their wild oats. What does that even mean? Church, it's the spirit of Babylon. And the spirit of Babylon has come. And it says that there's this place now, and we call it adolescence. It's not, that's not a biblical place. It's a cultural place. And what it means is you're old enough to be an adult, but you're still allowed to act like a child. And adolescence used to be just confined to the teen years. But now adolescence is stretched into the 20s, and it's stretched into the 30s, and it's moving very quickly into the 40s, where we still have these 30, 40-year-olds that are sitting at home, won't get a job, won't take care of their families, and they're doing nothing but playing video games and think that they're being productive in life. Amen, Pastor Mark. Look, Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He remains faithful regardless of who stands before him, regardless of who comes against him, regardless of what it is he's called to do. He stands faithful. And church, I want to say this to you. Please hear me. If you have older children, if you have teenagers, and those young people are in rebellion, I want you to go home, and I want you to read through the story of the prodigal son, and then I want you to start praying, and I want you to start praying, and I want you to start calling out what is as, or what isn't as though it is, and I want you to start speaking their name, that heaven starts to hear those young people's names, and that God would begin to awaken them from their pig pen, and bring them back to what God has called them to, that we would see a revival in the prodigal sons, that we would see look I don't want to even leave it in that kind of a general term we would see revival of your children 
But for you others, let me just say, please, don't let the spirit of Babylon declare a false prophecy over your children. A false prophecy that says, well, at least for a season, at least for a time being, well, you know what, it's normal. They're going to live as Babylonians. No. Well, you know what, it's, you know, a stage in their life, they're going to rebel. No. Don't declare that over your children. You declare the goodness of God over your children, that they, like Daniel, would serve from the day of their birth to the day of their death, that they would serve the Lord God Almighty, and no other would they entertain, that our children would be disciples taught of the Lord, and great would be their peace and undisturbed composure. Don't let the enemy prophesy over your children through your mouth. Don't you declare that. Don't you say that. Don't you even breathe. Let that even come from your mouth. You declare prophetically the goodness of God in the lives of your children so that they would never live and never know a day in Babylon. And if you've done that, please, there's no condemnation in Christ. If you've done that, today's a brand new day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we have this opportunity to rejoice and to be glad in it. This is the day that God says, I have new mercies for you. And I have a new authority for you. And no matter what your situation or how bad you've blown it, your God is bigger than your ability to blow it. God is able to bring home to do what only God can do. No matter where you've been or what you've gone through, today is the day that matters. This is what God is calling you to. This is where God wants you to stand up. This is what God is calling you to fight for and so don't justify it don't just throw up your hands and say there's no hope I can't do anything about it it's not someone else's problem don't listen to the spirit of Babylon you be willing to stand up to admit it and to repent and to say my God has called me my God will cleanse me my God will purify me my God has called me to stand up in this time and in this hour and fight where are those that will stand up where are those that will fight the fight that God has called us to fight stop watching what's going on and start being an active participant in the battle that God has called us to. Get in the fight. It's time, church, that God is raising up in this day crusaders that will fight for a cause and that are willing to pay the cost. God is looking for those who will stand up in the army of God and be warriors for his kingdom and warriors for his purpose. God is calling us today, and he's calling us to stand up, not to give up. He's calling us to rise up. And where are those who will be warriors in his kingdom? Where are the warriors? Where are the battlers? Where are those who will stand? Where are those who will fight on their knees? Where are those who will take up the weapons of their warfare that are mighty in God and begin to pull down strongholds and begin to make a difference and begin to do what God's called us to do. Church, where are the warriors? Where are those who will stand up? Where are those who will rise up in this day and in this age? Where are those who will be what God's called us to be, doing what God has called us to be? Look, the spirit of Babylon wants to own you. The spirit of Babylon wants to train you. Will you let him? Let's stand together, church. We are the family of God. We are the family of Christ. And we stand as warriors, not just as those who would watch, but those who would take part in the kingdom battle and doing what God has called us to do. Oh, come on, church. Disciples in Jesus, a fight that's willing to pay the cost. Come on, who's willing to pay the cost? Who's willing to sacrifice the time? Who's willing to do what God has called them to do? Oh, you might see yourself as one thing, but God sees you as a warrior. He sees you as a warrior. And you know how I know that? Because he gave you weapons of warfare. He gave you the armor of God. Why? So you could get out of the stand, stop being a consumer, and start being a crusader that's willing to stand and fight. Take some shots and begin to stand for this next generation that's to come. The generation after that that's to come. And the generation after that. Because our God is a generational God. Amen? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, come on, lift up your hands, church. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voices. God, here we are. Touch my lips with the coal of the altar. Here I am, Lord. Send me into the battle. Send me into the war. Send me, Lord God. I will not rest, Lord God. I will not give up. I will not quit. I will not lie down. I will stand firm, Lord. I will not take off my boots, but I will be ready for battle at any moment, in any place, because, Lord God, there is so much riding on it. God, there's so much... 
that I don't see so much behind the curtain. But God, you have given me victory even over those things that are behind the curtain. And I thank you, Lord, that I trust you more than I trust what I see, more than I trust what I feel, more than I trust what I want. I want you, Lord God, above all things. Come on, Lord God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You, Lord God, have your way in us today. Our God is a great God. Great is our Lord. Great is our King. Come on, let's shout it out. Our God, great are you. Great is our King. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What will you do with the message that has been spoken to you today? How will you respond? Not just by standing up. Come on, that's awesome and wonderful, but that's not what it's about. It's about what commitment we make in our life, what commitment we make to open up the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to begin to take and to develop faith in our lives and in the lives of our children and children's children, the children that are around us, that we would begin to stand in community, that we would see young people stepping into the faith that God gave them, the faith that God called them into, that we would begin to take the sword of the Spirit and we would begin to see God doing great great things in and through us in our homes. Come on, our God is an awesome God. What will you do? What will you do with the message that's been spoken to you? Come on. Come on, lift up your voice. Sing with me how is our your life what will you do how will you answer the call and what is it that God is calling you to do amen amen God bless you church we love you I love you go be the redeemed go be the light go be the people that God has called you to be go be the church amen church is about to begin so go be the church God bless you